morning, Genesis. Merry Christmas. Hello to those of you that are joining us online today. If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so thankful that you would join us and worship Jesus with us uh, today. Um, in fact, if you're new or visiting, I'd love to meet you before you leave today. So feel free to find me and uh, come shake my hand. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is a world-class violinist. In fact, he has been comment, it's been said that he is America's greatest classical musician. He plays a three and a half million dollar Stradivarius violin. He's the kind of guy that people willingly pay a few hundred dollars to see perform at a place like Carnegie Hall. And several years ago, the Washington Post reached out to him about doing a social experiment. He was coming to DC to play, perform a concert, and they said, hey, what about a day or two later, would you be willing to go into the subway and play anonymously? And let's just see how people respond to you. And so Bell agreed. He took his three and a half million dollar violin with him into the subway, began to play for about 45 minutes. He opened up his case to collect tips. And as you can see, the vast majority of people went right by. A few days ago, they were paying $100 to see him. On this day, he only collected $32.17 in tips. That's kind of embarrassing, right? If you're used to making big money. But here's my favorite part. I want you to pay really close attention to this lady that's been watching him. She's been standing there for a while. Listen to what she says to him. I saw you at the Library of Congress. It was fantastic. Of all the hundreds of people that rushed through that little room during rush hour, one lady, one lady stood there, I'm gonna guess for 20 minutes, and admired his skill and ability and said, you're good, I know who you are. Now I want you to imagine you're Joshua Bell. Would you be humbled by that one lady for her to say, hey, you're really good? Or would you be discouraged by all the other people that had just rushed by? And what would you have done? I don't know about you, but now knowing myself as well as I do, depending on the day, I probably would have rushed right through as well and just thought I got to get to another place. And it kind of makes you wonder how often we miss out on things like this. Maybe we're in the presence of someone well-known or famous, and we don't know. We're, we're either uneducated or we're just so busy, we don't pay attention to what's happening around us, or we're right around the corner from a hidden gym with world-class food or an extravagant work of art. But again, we're busy, we're distracted, and, and we're moving. Now, I'm going to guess that most of you are like me, and this is what you've been doing for the last five weeks. We're in that magical time of the year known as the holiday season from Thanksgiving to New Year's. It's a five-week period. And what do we do in this five weeks? Well, we're making our list and we're checking them twice. We're overwhelmed about all the gifts we need to get. We're excited about some gifts we hope to receive. Our calendars get so full that we don't know what to do. We've got more to do than we can keep up with. And some of those things we're looking forward to, but others, let's just be honest. Have you ever thought, I hope I get sick so I don't have to go to that one more holiday party, right? Just me. Okay, just me. I'm, okay. But we get so busy, we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. And hopefully in the middle of all of the excitement, somewhere along the way, you get to eat some good food. You get to be with the people that you love and enjoy the most. But in the hustle and in the hassle of the holiday season, isn't it easy for us to miss out or to just plain forget what it is we're supposed to be celebrating in the first place? Now, if that describes you, here's what I want you to know. You're not alone. Don't feel bad. 
We all do this. So for the last couple of weeks, what we've been wanting to do is pump the brakes and slow down a little bit and say, wait a minute, let's focus in on what the Christmas season is really all about. And we've been looking at Luke's gospel account of the Christmas story, that first Christmas when Jesus was born. But there's a theme that develops in the gospel of Luke that's kind of interesting. Maybe you've not noticed this before, but that first Christmas came and went when Jesus was born and very few people, just like Joshua Bell in the subway, very few people took note or even noticed at all. However, 700 years before that first Christmas when Jesus was born, God had given a a prophecy to the prophet Isaiah, a promise. And I want us to read it out loud together. It comes from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Would you read this with me? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, 700 years before the first Christmas, this prophecy was given. And if you look at it real close, it's got all the key elements of the Christmas story. There's a virgin who we believe to be Mary, who we know to be Mary. There is a son who we know to be Jesus. And then there's this word, Emmanuel. It's a hidden detail. The word Emmanuel only appears four times in all of scripture, but it has a really significant meaning. It means God with us. And so even though the majority of the people of Israel didn't realize that prophecy was being fulfilled, that very first Christmas when Jesus was born, the reality is that Jesus coming into our world as a newborn baby was God's way of proving to us that he is very serious about us enjoying life with him and him being able to enjoy life with us. This was God's vision for humanity from the Garden of Eden, for us to enjoy his presence. But there's a big problem, and you know this. When it comes to enjoying life with God, we have gotten in our own way. Scripture tells us that we have all chosen to do things our way instead of God's way. Instead of life with God, we live life apart from God. Scripture tells us this is sin, it's rebellion. And it doesn't just strain our relationship with God, it has broken our relationship with God. It has shattered it. And so God's up here and we're down here and it doesn't seem like we can solve this problem, but all that began to change on that first Christmas when Jesus was born into the world as Emmanuel, God with us. And even though a lot of people in Israel had forgotten or they had given up hope of God keeping this promise of Emmanuel, God with us, there were a faithful few people that devoted their entire lives to watching and waiting and hoping and praying that God was going to keep his promise so that his presence with us could be a reality. Now, if you have a Bible, I want, to, I want you to turn to Luke chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles under the seats around the room. You can turn to page 700. You'll be really close to Luke chapter two. And in Luke chapter two, we're gonna look at the life of two individuals. My guess is you've never heard of them before or if you've heard of them, you've not paid attention to their story. They're really easy to read past. And we're gonna see how they devoted their lives to waiting for God to fulfill this promise. We're gonna pick up the story in verse 21. But before we get to verse 21, let me fill you in on the details because these are important. By verse 21, we learn that Jesus is eight days old. So if you're thinking in terms of the traditional Christmas story, we're a week past that already. The angels have already been singing in the sky. The shepherds have come and gone. And so for a last week, Mary and Joseph, they have been learning how to live as new parents. And if you're a new parent, you know what that looks like, right? Not a lot of sleep, middle of the night, 
feedings, lots of diapers. I'm going to guess even Jesus had a blowout or two in that week. And lots of laundry to keep up with. All the things that these new parents are keeping up with. Now that sets the scene. So now let's jump into verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now I want you to pay close attention to that phrase, when it was time. Because a few hundred years before, God had commanded Abraham and all of his male descendants that would follow him to be circumcised when they were eight days old. Now that seems like a really weird detail for us to focus in on here on Christmas, but here's what we see. Luke is telling us that Mary and Joseph were very faithful in the way that they approached their relationship with God. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, interestingly, Luke begins verse 22 very similarly to the way he started verse 21 with the phrase, when the time came. Now that is referring to a 40-day period of purification that any woman would go through after giving birth to a son. So 40 days after eight days, that tells us Jesus at this point is six or seven weeks old. But here's what I really want you to see. Even though the arrival of Jesus had been difficult, it had been unexpected, it had been challenging for Mary and Joseph, they continued to model their faithfulness to God by doing their best to help Jesus keep God's commands even as an infant. And here's why that is significant for all of us. Because if you keep reading on into the story, we learn that Jesus, the whole reason he came to the earth was eventually to die on a cross to offer a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin, all of our rebellion against God. And so Mary and Joseph in their faithfulness to God, they were helping the infant Jesus keep God's laws and command at a very young age. I'm not even sure that they understood what they were doing. They were just being faithful in their relationship with God. And here's another thing. The fact that Luke tells us that they offered uh, a pair of doves or two small pigeons, that lets us know that Mary and Joseph were among the poorest in their community. The offering of purification would have been a lamb, but they couldn't afford that. So they offered these two small birds. And so I want you to think, just take a moment and put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what it would have been like to be Mary and Joseph. Nothing about their relationship was easy at this point in time. Nothing about Jesus's arrival had been easy. Everyone would have ridiculed them. Nobody would have believed them. They would have, everybody would have questioned the legitimacy of Mary's pregnancy, but they both chose to trust God at his word and to remain faithful to God to do whatever he's going to tell them to do next. And they didn't even have the whole plan laid out in front of them. And we learned, I think it was last week that they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the purposes of a Roman census. And now we learn they have to travel to Jerusalem to keep up with God's law. And remember, they're really poor. Now, if you've ever traveled with kids, it's not easy. It requires resources, and they didn't have a lot of those resources. But here's what I want you to see. In spite of their social challenges, in spite of their financial poverty, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph were abundantly rich in their faith towards God. And in response, 
God continued to bless them and God continued to send encouragers to encourage them one step at a time. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now we don't know a lot about Simeon. Tradition teaches that he was old, but we really don't know how old he was. But here's what we do know. Luke says he was righteous and devout. All that means is that that's Luke's way of saying he treated people the way God would want him to and he was very devoted in his life towards God. But Luke also tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now this is really unique because in those days, the Holy Spirit did not live on or in people yet. Simeon was really unique in this regard. But we also learn that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now this word waiting is an interesting word. It's two words combined. It means to wait and forward. Max Lucado says, if you combine them, a, a great way to think about it is waiting forwardly. It's not good grammar. It sounds really weird to us, but it's a great description of how he waited. As he waited, he wasn't demanding that God do something. He wasn't hurrying and rushing around. He was waiting forwardly. He was waiting expectantly for God to do something. And Luke tells us what he was waiting expectantly on, the consolation of Israel. Now, that word consolation means comfort or relief or think of the word console. And so in this context, the consolation of Israel that he was waiting on was for God to keep his promise to send a Messiah who would enter into our world to make God's presence with us a reality just as Isaiah had predicted. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, this is huge. Simeon was so faithful in his relationship with God, so faithful in waiting for God to keep his promises that at some point God said, Simeon, I have seen your faithfulness and you will not die. You will not leave this planet until you see my salvation with your own eyes. That's pretty amazing. Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took Jesus in his arms. Time out. You can't do that, Simeon. You can't just walk up to a new mom and say, he didn't even ask. He just said, I'm taking your baby. What do we do to people like that? We call the cops. We tase them, right? Like this is stranger danger. You cannot do this, Simeon. However, if you look at the details, we got to give him a pass. Verse 27 tells us the Holy Spirit had come upon him. So he's just doing whatever the Holy Spirit is instructing him to do. And look at the end of verse 28. Simeon took Jesus into his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, parentheses, because you've kept your promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, somehow Simeon recognized this infant Jesus to be God's long-awaited and promised Messiah. And he responds by worshiping God right on the spot. Now, I want you to hold this scene in your mind because we're going to circle back to it in just a moment. 
But before we move on, I want you to see Mary and Joseph's response. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. In other words, they did not press charges against Simeon for being weird. They were in awe of what he, they, he was saying about their son, Jesus. Now, I want you to think of how many times God had sent a messenger to Mary and Joseph up to this point in the story. If you rewind the clock 10-ish months ago, an angel appeared to Mary and said, you are gonna give birth to the son of God and you will remain a virgin. That's a big deal. And then at some point later, an angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary is not making this up. Everything that she has told you is true. And then who could forget the shepherds that showed up the night that Jesus was born? They rush into the stable area and they're like, we just saw the sky filled with angels saying that the Messiah has been born. We believe it's him. And they've come to worship and Mary and Joseph have this new baby, like think of all these messengers. And now there's this old man named Simeon who has taken Jesus into his arms and he is worshiping God because he's seeing the Messiah for himself. Now I'm gonna guess God sent all those messengers to Mary and Joseph as a way of saying, you're not crazy. I'm keeping my word. You can trust me, but I want you to imagine you're Mary or Joseph. Would you be encouraged I would, but I think I'd also be a little confused. Like, God, what's gonna happen next? How does this work? Is this the way the rest of my life is going to work? But here's the good news. God wasn't finished sending exciting mess excited messengers just yet. Look at the next verse, verse 36. There was also a prophet named Anna. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, Anna has a lot in common with Simeon. We do not know a lot about her. All we know is that she was an older widow. She lived in the temple and she worshiped God continuously. And I want you to pay attention to how she responds when she sees sweet little baby Jesus. Verse 38, coming up to them at that moment, at what moment? At the same moment that Simeon snags the baby and begins worshiping. At that very moment, Anna arrives. She gave thanks to God. And listen to this. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, to everyone that had been waiting for God to fulfill this promise. Now, I want you to picture this scene in your mind. You're Mary and Joseph. You're just being faithful to God. You're traveling to Jerusalem to present this child who you know to be the son of God and no one believes you. And the moment you arrive, this strange old man takes your baby and starts singing and dancing. And now there's this old widow that's telling everybody else about your baby. Now that sounds to me, that sounds like a weird visit to a senior living facility. And you're like, kids, pack up the car. We're gonna go home. We're not gonna do this anymore, right? But that's not what's happening. This was a planned trip to the temple. And here's what I want you to see. Simeon and Anna, they were not off their rocker. They hadn't gone off of their meds. They were worshiping God because they had seen him fulfill this long-awaited promise with their own eyes. And for centuries, the people of Israel had been waiting for God to fulfill this promise, to make his presence available. But in the waiting... So many of them had forgotten or been distracted or they'd given up hope that God was gonna keep this promise. And you know what happened in, the, in all of that, they missed out on rejoicing and enjoying God's presence with them through the birth of Jesus. 
but not Simeon and Anna. They had been waiting and longing and looking and hoping and praying. And now, now it's time to worship. That's why they're worshiping. Because in spite of their old age, their long expectant waiting had paid off because they had the privilege of not just witnessing, but seeing and touching Emmanuel, God with us. Now, what can we learn from Simeon and Anna's story? How should it change and transform our lives? Well, the fact that they were old represents a posture of long, faithful waiting for God to keep his word. So here's the first lesson. This isn't a fun lesson, but it's true. Waiting is a normal and sometimes difficult part of life, especially when you're waiting on God. Pastor J.D. Greer notes that one of the reasons Luke shares Simeon and Anna's story with us is to help us understand that Jesus comes to those who wait. And throughout their lives, Simeon and Anna, they expressed their faithfulness to God by waiting and watching and hoping and praying and trusting for God to keep his word. Now we live in a world of quick convenience. And so it's easy for us to settle for instant gratification instead of practicing patient perseverance. And we're all waiting on something, aren't we? Kids and big kids. How many of you are waiting to tear into some presents real soon, right? Okay, of course you're, yes, I see you. Thank you for being honest, me too. We're waiting to get into some presents, right? I remember when I was about eight years old, me and my brother Matt woke up on Christmas morning at four in the morning. And we knew that if we went into the living room, we would probably not get to open anything waiting on us. So we did the next best thing. We crept up to the, to the end of the room and we poked our heads around the corner and we laid on the ground until our parents woke up about three hours later. We just waited with great anticipation. I, I don't think we fell asleep. We like just talked through the time, right? We're all waiting for something. If you're in high school, you're waiting to get to college because that seems exciting. Or if you're in college, you're waiting to graduate so you can start your, your life as an adult. Maybe you're waiting for a better job to get more money or you're waiting for a better career so you can have more fulfillment in your life. Maybe some of you are waiting to get married or some of you are very painfully waiting to have a child of your own. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse to return or you're hoping that the pain that you feel for the loss of a loved one, you're waiting for that pain to go away. You're waiting for a better diagnosis. Or let's be honest, you're probably waiting for me to stop talking so you can start Christmasing, right? Waiting is hard and there's nothing fun about waiting. We're all waiting for something. But the arrival of Jesus that first Christmas tells us that the waiting isn't just worth it. He has come to, so we can enjoy God's presence with us while we wait, no matter what we wait for. The arrival of Jesus that first Christmas assures us that we don't wait alone and we don't wait in vain because he has come to help us understand that God is with us in the waiting, no matter what, no matter what you're waiting for or how long you have to wait. Now, this leads to another important lesson that we can learn from Simeon and Anna's life. Jesus is the answer to our waiting. I don't know how many of you guys saw this news story. I think it was from this week. 
a family in Kentucky went and bought their Christmas tree. They set it up, they decorated it. And for four days, they were so busy, they did not know that they had an owl living in their tree. Okay, how's that for an unexpected gift? And you can go online and find it. You can see the dad, like he's carrying it out to release it to the wild, right? I don't need that kind of excitement in Christmas. I'm good. Jesus is the answer to our waiting. We're all waiting for something. We've got in our mind what we think we're waiting for. In Simeon and Anna's day, the people of Israel, they were waiting for a political Messiah, a military Messiah, someone who would come in and conquer the Romans and set Israel up to be the world superpower that it had been before. But that wasn't God's plan because God had sent the Messiah as a helpless baby boy born to peasant parents. But you know what? It didn't phase Simeon and Anna. They didn't even shrug their shoulders. They thought this is great. And we're going to worship God with great joy in response. Now I want to circle back to that moment when Simeon took baby Jesus out of Mary's arms and he began to worship. Look again at what he said. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. That word dismiss is a really interesting word. It means to release a prisoner, to untie a ship and to take down a tent. What Simeon was saying is, Lord, you can dismiss me. I can die a happy man because you have fulfilled your promise. I have seen the Messiah with my own eyes. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Simeon was rejoicing because it wasn't just his salvation. It was the salvation of the world. And listen to how he, uh, how he um, describes this salvation. Verse 32, it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now for the last four weeks, we have been participating in Advent and every week we've lit these candles. We talked about it earlier. Every one of these candles represents something different and something unique. But today we're gonna light this Christ candle. It's white. It represents purity. It represents light, strength, and victory. And all of these things are meant to remind us of who Jesus is and why he has come. The fact that it's white represents purity. Jesus left the comforts of heaven, came into our world, the world that we messed up with our sin. And scripture tells us that through faith in Jesus, because of his death on the cross in our place, he has the power to wash all of us as white as snow. But the light is also a reminder that Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. He came into the darkness of our world, the world he had created, that we made dark with our sin. And he has come to bring light and life and warmth for anyone who would put their trust and their faith in him. And so today, we're not just gonna light the Christ candle, but we're gonna allow the light from that candle to spread across this room as a reminder that through our faith in Jesus, we all have an opportunity, especially on Christmas, to celebrate his presence with us, to share his presence everywhere that we go. And as we prepare to light this light, I want you to think back to uh, Joshua Bell in the subway. Remember how a lot of people came and went and no one really seemed to notice. Well, that was kind of the scene of the first Christmas. Come on up. 
that first Christmas, the light of the world entered into our dark world and very few people noticed. But the people that did notice got very busy sharing that light with the people around them. In fact, we read that the shepherds were very quick to go into the world and to respond and tell everyone that they came in contact with that the Messiah had been born. And so as we spread this light, I wanna invite you to take a moment to stand to your feet and enjoy the light of Christ spreading across this room and what it represents is the light of the world coming into our world. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for leaving the comforts of heaven and coming into our world, the world that we have messed up and broken with our sin. Thank you for coming as our light, our redeemer, our hope, God with us. Would you help us as we celebrate Christmas to keep you at the center of it all, to sing to you, to worship you, to celebrate the same way that Simeon and Anna did, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Very carefully, you can blotch candles. You know, the power of Christmas is that Jesus has come into our world. We celebrate his arrival, but we also wait for him to come again. The apostle John tells us that there will be a Jesus himself predicted that there would be a day he would return to this earth. He's come once as a helpless baby. When he returns, he will be the eternal king of kings. And I want to invite you to read from the last book of scripture, the last book that was written for us. And it talks about the reality of God with us. Revelation 21, verse three. Would you read this with me? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. How fascinating is it that he was promised to be God with us? He's come to be God with us. And John says, there'll be a day that he will return and we will get to be with him and see him and experience him just like we can see and experience one another. But there's more. Look at verse four. Read verse four with me. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When Jesus comes the second time, he will come to make everything right that we have broken. He will have forgiven our sins. He will restore us completely to live with God for the rest of eternity. And so for those of us that follow him, as we leave here to celebrate Christmas, celebrate that. And all the, the gifts and the giving and the eating and the hanging out, celebrate that he is coming to restore us. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, here's what I would want you to know. You're missing out on God with us, God with you. And so if you're curious about a beginning or relationship with him today, I'll be hanging out over here after service. I'd love to talk with you. Or if you need prayer for something going on in life, we would be glad to meet you right over here as well. You know, Christmas is a, is a time for us to give gifts. God has given Jesus as our gift. And we wanna give you a small, really simple gift as you leave today. It's a really simple votive candle. You can snag them on the door right as you leave. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Take some time tomorrow and by yourself or with someone, with the people that you live with, light this candle as a reminder of God's presence with us everywhere we go. 
Say a simple prayer. Enjoy its light and light it for the next few days until it burns out and enjoy the light of Jesus with you. Merry Christmas, Genesis. As you go, go in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rested on Simeon lives inside of you through faith in Jesus and go and tell the world that he has come to be with us. Enjoy your day.